Hey, folks, you're listening to the free version of the Ring of Fire radio podcast. It is our members who make it possible for us to produce this show, to produce the three-hour radio show every week. Won't you join them and help support this program? We will give you a couple hours extra content every week. That means interviews from journalists, from experts, from writers across various fields and keeping up with the myriad of stories uh, that you may not hear in the uh, corporate media. I mean, let's face it. There's a ton of news every week coming out about the Trump uh, administration. Uh, This week, we talked to Wendell Potter from Tarbell.org about two little known assaults on the Affordable Care Act, which are going to raise premiums for literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the country. We talked to Carl Frisch about uh, the way that private investment firms are monetizing people living in uh, middle to lower income by sending them checks in the mail and just hoping somebody cashes them. And, of course, we spoke to Ian Milheiser about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Week in, week out, we interview folks like this, as well as breaking down the news uh, more often than not with Digby. You can hear what you're missing, and you can make it possible for us to produce this show and get this information to you every week. Go to rofpodcast.com. That's R-O-F, as in Ring of Fire, podcast.com. Sign up for the uh, to become a member. Get the full show every week, and you get access to our archives. All right, folks, enjoy the show. Welcome to Ring of Fire Radio. I'm Sam Cedar. Today on the show, Ian Milheiser from Think Progress joins us to uncover Trump's pick for the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh. Carl Frisch from Allied Progress will be here to explain how private equity firms have a new way of monetizing poor people. Heather Digby Parton from Salon will be here to break down all the headlines from the past week. And former health care executive Wendell Potter will join us to discuss the ramifications of President Trump's plan to defund Obamacare. Don't forget, you can go to rofpodcast.com and sign up for the free one-hour version of the Ring of Fire radio podcast. And if you want the full show without commercials, become a member. That's the best way. In fact, it's really, in many ways, the only way to support this show. That's rofpodcast.com. Here to help me analyze the biggest news stories of the week, Heather Parton from Salon, or as you may know her from her Uber blog, Hullabaloo, Digby. So, Heather, we will talk about the, I think what is probably the biggest, and at least in the short term, the most consequential news, of course, is uh, Donald Trump made his uh, Supreme Court um, nomination pick. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, we will talk about that in the next hour. 
Um, and, you know, there is nothing there is nothing that happens uh, in this in the Trump administration, nothing that is important in many respects that does not in some way dovetail with the fact that the Trump administration, uh, members of the Trump administration, we're not exactly sure whom, uh, but we can guess, are under investigation uh, by Robert Mueller and an expanding crew of FBI and uh, uh, FBI agents and prosecutors. Um, And, uh, you know, it's going to implicate... It could very well implicate the nomination process. It could implicate uh, the specific choice and whatnot. And then, of course, the other element of this is uh, Donald Trump and, and, and foreign relations. And this week, Donald Trump stood on the White House grounds, said, I've, I have the U.K., which is a bit of a mess. In other words, they're, um, they have to protect him from all the protests that are going on there against him. I have the E.U., which is a real problem, and I have Putin, and Putin may be the easiest to deal with, which is really, really stunning for for two reasons, both the importance of NATO to uh, the United States and world peace, even if I happen to believe that NATO expanded too uh, quickly and inappropriately in the fall after the fall of the Soviet Union, and the uh, the burgeoning uh, investigation of of uh, Donald Trump's ties to Russia, and you know I'm I, I interviewed Marcy Wheeler this week. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit more. But I am finally attuned, I should say, not finally, but finally attuned to uh, that issue uh, this week in particular. But uh, give me your 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 sense of this of this of this notion that. NATO is our adversary now. You know, it's very hard to to really know why uh, Trump has this tremendous hostility toward NATO. I mean, it goes back a ways. He's been he's been slamming NATO the same way he slams, you know, China or Japan. He he just he slams foreign countries, right? Well, with the exception of Russia. But other than that, you know, this is part of his been his shtick for years, right? That that, that these uh, foreign nations are taking advantage of the U.S. We're the piggy bank, et cetera, et cetera. So, there, you know, that is just sort of his worldview, and he is he is essentially making that making the the world into an enemy of the United States. That's how he is selling his philosophy to his followers, who are buying it. By the way, he had a couple of rallies over the last couple of weeks where he really slammed NATO hard, Germany hard, and his crowds are cheering wildly for this. You know, this is this is kind of a new thing for um, what we used to call conservatives in this country to be slamming uh, all alliances across the board and also excusing Vladimir Putin and kind of saying he's a, he's fine, he's a, we're just people, it's not a problem, et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to know exactly what he, you know, if there's anything specific happening with NATO other than that. However, it's really important to point out that Donald Trump simply does not grasp what NATO is, how it works, what the point of it is, the history that made it, and the way that it's financed. This is obvious to me. You know, this is not a strategy. He just doesn't get it. He sees NATO as, and I'm not sure if he literally believes that NATO, that NATO countries write checks to the United States for their protection. 
you know, he can't actually think that, but that is the way he portrays it, as if the United States is, you know, having to finance the protection of all these countries, and they're supposed to, you know, pay us back for that. You know, it's specifically pay us back a specific amount of money. Now, you could even, even if you want to just say, well, that doesn't matter, you know, he's just, it's just a rhetorical tool that he's using to try and explain things to his people. And he, even if he's just too dumb to understand it. The thing that makes no sense about this, he keeps saying, we have to, we are paying too much money. We can't afford to keep paying for the protection of Europe. They've got to step up and pay. He's raising the U.S. military budget. This might make sense if he was saying, look, we've got to cut back here, and you people have to step up. That's an right. argument that's even not unreasonable, right? I mean, we it's, it's, certainly I mean, could say. It's an argument that, that past presidents have made sure. on some level. I mean, but and, this and, idea and, that, that he's ma- – and he's not just raising the military. He's raising it massively and wants to raise it even more. He has said – well, let me put the let, let me put some just numbers to this. The budget of NATO is a couple of billion dollars. It's a lot of money for you and I. The budget for the U.S. military went from six hundred and ten billion dollars to seven hundred billion dollars this year. We, it's a, that is a that is a significant increase in our military spending, and. Completely a choice that we made. I mean, not you and I, but I mean that that the United States has made. But continue just to get numbers. People understand the, the sort of the infinitesimally small amount of money that is spent on the actual budget of NATO. You could argue, uh, and I think your point is, you could argue that we shouldn't have thirty thousand troops in in uh, in Germany. Well, okay, let's cut our budget. Well, exactly. I mean, look, you know, I get that. We've talked about that. You and I've written about it, talked about it for years. You know, the massive amount that's spent on American on the American military globally is is insane, and it is something that we should be talking about. But Donald Trump's not doing that. He's doing the opposite. He is raising, as you stand. I mean, that's a massive raise in the, in the military budget, and and yet at the same time he's saying, well, but we have to pull back. Um, from Europe and South Korea and various other places. I mean, this literally makes no sense. And and I don't think there is a strategy to any of this. Now, people are taking advantage of this in various ways, right? His incoherence does help certain people in the United States. Military contractors, they're great with it, right? I mean, you've got the whole military-industrial complex, hip, hip, hooray. A lot of money is going to be spent um, on, you know, a total nonsense. They're going to be building weaponry that we don't need. They're great with that. Um, and there are foreign actors who are also happy with Trump's incoherence on this, one of which, of course, is Russia, very hostile to NATO, always has been. NATO was formed <laughs> as an alliance to stand together against Russian aggression. Um, so, of course, they have a long tradition of hostility to NATO, and most recently with the expansion of NATO after the fall of the Soviet Union, even more hostility, right? So, uh, you know, there are, there are places and, and people who are using Donald Trump's total incoherence here to their advantage. Right. And so you can find some places where you can see that what he's saying has some strategic sense for someone, but as an overall strategy, it is totally 
incoherent and makes no sense. He simply refuses or I can't even explain how a person could be this dumb. But the idea, he seems to think that this they have to spend 2% of the GDP, or as he said at the NATO meeting this week, now he wants them to pay 4% of GDP, just set it out of the blue. You know, and everybody's going, what? I mean, it's a lot of money for any country. <laughs> you know, 4% of GDP right. is a lot of money. Um, and, he, you know, he, he seems to not understand that that is the amount of money that people pay for their defense, period. And the U.S. is the same way. The vast sums of money that we're paying, we're not sending it to Germany. We're, we're, it's for the American military, which is then, you know, that's the part I, of that. Our alliance requires us to then commit our military to a common defense with these countries that we're in the alliance with. That's it. I mean, we're not sending no money is exchanging hands here. <laughs> it's not like we, there's some kind of a transaction. But he, that's I, how he sees the world. So this whole thing is very, very incoherent, but we, it is so unsettling. All right. Well, Heather, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about his incoherence on this trip. I'm Sam Cedar. This is Ring of Fire Radio. We'll be right back with Heather Parton or Digby. Hey, folks, Mike Papantonio's new book entitled Law and Vengeance, which is the follow up to his critically acclaimed novel, Law and Disorder, is finally out and available to you to buy. The book is a legal and political thriller drawing on Pap's experience both as a skilled trial lawyer and as a nationally syndicated political talk show host. The story follows trial lawyer Gina Romano, who was first introduced in Law and Disorder on her quest for both vengeance and justice in a whistleblower lawsuit against a weapons manufacturer who developed and sold a dangerously defective rifle scope. Pap has built a story around real-life events that he's encountered as one of the top trial lawyers in America, where he's been fighting some of the world's largest and most corrupt corporations. Buy Mike Papantonio's new book, Law and Vengeance, today. Go to www.lawandvengeance.com. That's lawandvengeance.com. Check it out. I know you're going to love it. Welcome back to Ring of Fire Radio. I'm Sam Cedar here with Heather Digby Parton from Salon. So, Heather, uh, when we broke, we were talking about uh, Donald Trump's incoherence in terms of 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 NATO. And uh, at one point, I should also say, in addition to him not understanding the obligations uh, or uh, the, um, uh, the the notion of, of how much of a, of a country's GDP is spent on on uh, military um, and this notion that we are protecting and we are to a certain extent. But this is also, you know. We were able to make a deal because we have a certain amount of desire to have control over things. And um, Donald Trump could easily unilaterally say, hey, instead of us raising our military budget from $610 billion annually to $700 billion, we're going to cut $50 billion and we're going to take 10,000 troops out of Germany, let's say, or we're going to take uh, we're going to close a couple of bases across Europe. We could easily do that if we wanted to. 
Um, but uh, Donald Trump doesn't either understand that or doesn't care. Uh, and I would actually, I would actually settle on the doesn't care. This, I think, for him is simply uh, an opportunity, like you suggested in the last segment, to demonize foreigners and to sort of turn up uh, his um, his xenophobic base. Now, for some reason, uh, Russia is not uh, as much of a target. We can talk more about that uh, later as as we go on in this program. But it's amazing. It's amazing. Like I saw a clip of him this week where he's 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 saying that Germany gets 70 percent of its power from Russia. And this is just absolutely incorrect. Germany gets 70 percent of its natural gas from Russia But natural gas makes up only 20% of its energy portfolio. (laughs) So really you're talking about uh, energy that Russia, I mean, Germany gets about anywhere from, I guess, 9 to 16% maybe of its energy, probably closer to 9, uh, from Russia, which is a big difference between getting it from 60 to 70%. And, you know, we're, the, you know, like I said in the last segment, this undergirds everything a little bit. But he was saying that Russia, that Germany is controlled by Russia. And it's almost as if like this like low grade or mid grade uh, anxiety is uh, pulsating through him and just pops up as like, you know, like almost like, you know, someone who, uh, I don't know, works at a, uh, at a at, at a burger restaurant and does improv and then everything <laughs> that comes out is like a burger restaurant scenario you know what i mean <laughs> no that's a, that's actually a good way of of putting it i think i'm also coming you know i i float back and forth with trump on this but there is i i come back now to a sort of a trying to seeing this as a psychological dimension with him and i think anxiety is a good way to put it he seems to to me the last month I have felt that Trump is, is, the anxiety level is being ratcheted up. It's coming from any number of places. And, of course, someone like him, he just acts out. Um, and it, it does, it sort of pops out at various times. The, the, you know, the idea, I mean, what it really comes down to with, with him, I think he, he, sees, he sees leadership or the presidency or whatever he is in sort of in, in mobster terms. So to him, using NATO... Uh, as a tool to uh, threaten the allies with better trade deals or whatever it is he thinks. I don't even think he knows what he wants. But he wants to use it to leverage them, to threaten them. And he does this across the board. He's doing it with the tariffs. He's doing it with this. You have to see the whole thing as part of his method of world leadership. If, If he were... I mean, if you were to see this in a script, you would see him as kind of a bond, a, you know, a very, you know, incompetent bond villain who wants to rule the world. I right. mean, this is his, you know, he he thinks that he can, from his perch in the White House or wherever, that he can manipulate the world with threats. That's basically what he does. And, you know, there's one exception, well, which we'll talk about. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll talk about that. And we just have, uh, 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 you know, 30 seconds here. But I would say uh, we'll let, if you'll join me in the next hour, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. 
Uh, we're going to be talking to Ian Milheiser about some of the specifics on the Brett Kavanaugh pick, but I want to talk about the politics behind the Brett Kavanaugh yep. pick, the implications of the Russia investigation. And you mentioned uh, that uh, Donald Trump sees uh, the world as if he's a gangster. Well, that's exactly what North Korea told Mike Pompeo. We will talk <laughs> about that if you'll join me in the next hour. I'm Sam Cedar. This is Ring of Fire Radio. We'll be right back. Just ahead, private equity firms have found a new way to monetize the poor. I'm Sam Cedar. You're listening to Ring of Fire Radio. The first time that I saw your face, time stood still. Folks, the Ring of Fire is sponsored by JustCoffee.coop. That's JustCoffee.coop. If you like fair trade, delicious coffee, tea, or chocolate, head over to JustCoffee.coop. Use the coupon code MAJORITY and get 10% off. There's free shipping. You have no reason not to get this great coffee. It's a great outfit in Madison, Wisconsin, which supported the protest there. JustCoffee.coop. Hey, folks, Mike Papantonio's new book entitled Law and Vengeance, which is the follow up to his critically acclaimed novel Law and Disorder, is finally out and available to you to buy. The book is a legal and political thriller drawing on Pap's experience both as a skilled trial lawyer and as a nationally syndicated political talk show host. The story follows trial lawyer Gina Romano, who was first introduced in Law and Disorder on her quest for both vengeance and justice in a whistleblower lawsuit against a weapons manufacturer who developed and sold a dangerously defective rifle scope. Pap has built a story around real-life events that he's encountered as one of the top trial lawyers in America, where he's been fighting some of the world's largest and most corrupt corporations. Buy Mike Papantonio's new book, Law and Vengeance, today. Go to www.lawandvengeance.com. That's lawandvengeance.com. Check it out. I know you're going to love it. I'm a trial lawyer. I've spent countless hours pouring through documents that tell the story about the ugliest side of corporate America. Corporate media refuses to talk about these issues. The conduct by this company was deplorable. I'm going to paint a clear picture about how disturbing, how corrupt corporate conduct has become in modern America. These are stories that no one else can tell. I'm Mike Papantonio, host of America's Lawyer. Question more. Find out more at ringoffireradio.com. Welcome back to Ring of Fire Radio. I'm Sam Cedar. Private equity firms have a new way of monetizing people living in poverty. Here to explain their new scheme, Carl Frisch, Executive Director of Allied Progress. So, Carl, this story in the uh, Washington Post details another form, I guess, of exploiting people of uh, middle and lower incomes, uh, taking advantage of a lack a combination of a lack of financial literacy on some level but also just really preying on desperate people i mean in many respects 
Uh, this is a story that's akin to, uh, you know, selling bottled water at uh, 12 times its cost when there's a natural emergency in some level. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's more than just preying on people who don't have good financial literacy. A lot of the times these things are disguised to trick people, literally trick people. So in this Washington Post story, we've got an example of a company that sends out checks, just mass sends out checks to thousands and thousands of people. And in essence, when you cash that check, you're agreeing to all the terms that go along with it, which includes enormous fees and penalties and giant interest rates on the loan. So people are very familiar with what payday lenders are and how shady they are. There are any number of industries that sprout up when new regulations come into place to take advantage of these same people. So that's why we always call these shady, you know, predatory lenders the shapeshifters of the financial industry. You and and why it is so important that the laws are airtight. When you give them room to breathe, they will find a way to survive. All right, so let's uh, let's get into the details here. This I mean the story in particular is about uh, Mariner Finance. Tell right. us what the business model is here. You mentioned they send out thousands upon thousands of checks is it to right. random people i mean what how is this a business well they use you know the same we all get those letters or those mailers from you know citibank and capital one asking us to get credit cards the same principle applies here but remember that the predatory lending marketplace has become very adept at modeling the types of people that are most susceptible to being targeted by these solicitations. So where payday lenders might target certain communities because because they know that people of color and people in poor communities are more likely to use their product and be ensnared in the debt cycle, Mariner Financial is no different. They're looking for the specific type of individual that is most likely to accept or cash that check. Mind you, one of those factors is not that they have the ability to pay things back. So where do they get this data? Is it just the stuff that they maybe call from that they buy it from? Uh, uh, I don't know. Google. They buy it from Facebook. They well, buy I mean, it's it from the same. It's, you know, it's that. You know, we always hear about it. The consumer financial data uh, that you know so many people make profits off of. I would remind everybody listening that if you're using something on the internet that's free. It's free because you are the product that is being sold. That's just a little side note reminder. But, yes, that's the type of data that they use, this consumer financial data, stuff from the credit reporting bureaus. You know, all of these companies put, you know, to make even more money, sell their data out into the public marketplace that other companies then take advantage of in trying to sell their products. So, you know, it doesn't take much for a company like Mariner Finance to determine after a year or two of business what their optimal client looks like, right? They're looking for a very specific type of person, and once they know who that person is, they can target all of their advertising, all of their mailings, all of their pitching, the branches that they open to those audiences. Now, uh, I know that in the piece, there is, uh, they, they interview former uh, employees there, I think uh, maybe a dozen, and right. uh, they, the, the majority of them, if not all of them, um, echoed the sentiment that maybe it started out uh, with some good intentions, but it really has just become some uh, way of basically exploiting, and I think one person put it, monetizing poor people. I mean, on, in, in some respects, I mean, I suppose like uh, in an emergency and you are lucky enough to get a check in the mail, um, right. 
and you know you, you're desperate you need that check but in some respects it sounds not too dissimilar from that nigerian email scam that they have going with, <laughs> yeah i mean you know like right i mean they're just they're basically saying uh here's a little cash up front now dig yourself a hole it's probably as risky i mean you know, I, I don't necessarily believe these former employees that it started off as a noble quest or whatever. Um, it's, that is a convenient way to assuage one's guilt, although I would be grateful that they came forward to talk to these reporters. Um, these things, generally speaking, were never designed to benefit the consumer. They're like any other business. They're designed to make money for the company's owners. In this case, you know, this is something that's run by a private equity company. And, and, you know, we need to be honest about the types of people behind these things. Tim Geithner, the former Treasury Secretary under President Obama, runs the private equity company that runs Mariner Finance, um, you know. And so there are very powerful people behind these types of products. Uh, you can tell very quickly whether these products are good for the consumer or bad for the consumer by asking basic questions. And if the companies don't want to answer them or if they seem like they're trying to talk around them, it's probably not good for consumers. The first and most important question is how many people pay off these loans on time and in full? And okay, if they and, and I just want that question. All right, well, no, hold on. I just, I just want to say, I want to put a pin in the uh, Tim Geithner thing because that is like yeah. its own sort of, I think, uh, amazing story. And also, uh, we're going to talk in, in, uh, in the next segment about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and how you said earlier, you know, anything that's given oxygen will grow and sort of metastasize. But right. so when they're asked, like, what is the percentage of payback on this? Which, of course, would be the primary indicator as to how helpful an instrument this is. I mean, if you're going to go out there and say, like, oh, we're doing this for the benefit of the consumer, well, then, okay, tell us how much benefit the consumers get from this. And they won't answer that question? Is there no way to know? Well, I mean, there, I don't think there are studies yet on this type of lending that would indicate that. But you can look at similar marketplaces to see what the type of payback is. In the payday lending marketplace, the average consumer doesn't take out just one loan when they take out a loan. They take out nine subsequent loans to pay off the previous loan. So they take out a loan and they don't have the money, so they take out another loan to pay off that loan, and they take out another loan to pay off that loan over and over and over again. In fact, in the payday lending industry, the payday lenders don't make money off of the first three loans because they typically pay money to find these people to get them you know, on the hook for these loans. So they require that the person basically be on the hook for a couple loans just to turn a buck. That's no wow. different than what we're seeing here. You can tell just by looking at the markup. You know, the Mariner Finance gets its money, the money that it's lending out to people, for about a return of investment of like 4 or 5%, or excuse me, with a 4 or 5% markup. They then turn around and mark that up 30 or 40 times for the consumer. Wow. That's their profit margin there on that initial loan. They're not checking to see. You know, a lot of these predatory lenders, when asked, are you checking to see if the consumer has the ability to pay back the loan when it's due, they'll say yes. But what they mean is we check to see if they have a bank account and a job. Right. That doesn't mean that the person can afford to pay back a loan. Nobody in their right mind would sell you a house just because you have a, a job and a paycheck and a bank account. Well, you know, uh, you need to take other things into consideration when you're talking I gotta about. I got to stop you. I got to repay. 
I got to stop you there. I mean, that is basically um, the fact that there were people who would make those loans and then sell the loans somewhere else is how we ended up with a massive financial uh, crisis, frankly, when it comes to mortgages. But I, I want to ask you this question. I want to take a break, and I want you to answer it when we come back. How is there there seemingly such lax regulation here? I mean, if I was to go buy a car in most states in the country, maybe all states, uh, a used car, and in tiny, tiny writing it says this car will not run after six months, or right. it's, there's a 50% chance that this car is going to break down because we pulled it out of a lake, that would be illegal. But it doesn't seem like this is uh, problematic. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Carl Frisch will tell us why there is such a gap here when it comes to a regulatory structure. And uh, he will also answer the question if the fact that Tim Geithner is uh, uh, running this company in any way contributes to that, uh, that regulatory gap. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ring of Fire Radio. On the heels of the critically acclaimed legal thriller, Law and Disorder, comes Law and Vengeance, the latest novel from famed trial attorney Mike Papantonio. Law and Vengeance follows the law firm of Bergman Decatomas, who is now in the crosshairs of a weapons manufacturer. But this is not a law firm that plays by all the rules. Based on a real case, Law and Vengeance, the riveting new legal thriller by Mike Papantonio, is available wherever books are sold. I'm a trial lawyer. I've spent countless hours pouring through documents that tell the story about the ugliest side of corporate America. Corporate media refuses to talk about these issues. Conduct by this company was deplorable. I'm going to paint a clear picture about how disturbing, how corrupt corporate conduct has become in modern America. These are stories that no one else can tell. I'm Mike Papantonio, host of America's Lawyer. Question more. Find out more at ringoffireradio.com. Back on Ring of Fire Radio, I'm Sam Cedar. Right now I'm talking to Carl Frisch about a new scheme by private equity firms to monetize people living in poverty. So, Carl, uh, when we broke, you were telling us the story of Mariner Finance. It is a, I guess, a lending company, uh, if you use the term very loosely. uh, It it really more seems like some type of, uh, I don't know, phishing scam in some ways. They send out thousands of checks hoping that there'll be one or two people in every couple of thousand that are desperate enough that need these checks without really realizing how much of an interest rate is associated with these checks. And then they keep selling them products to get out of the original debt that they got in when they sold the, when they when they cashed these checks. I mean, I know there are people out there going like, well, you're not forced to 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 cash these checks, but. You know, we have laws that protect people from, uh, you know, selling, uh, buying a, a, a lemon used car. Uh, this is like a lemon loan in some respects. Well, and you know, we didn't always have laws that protected us from buying products that were known to be defective, you know. Um, when it comes to these kinds of financial products, 
it takes time to regulate them. That's why, you know, like I said, these are like the shapeshifters of the financial universe. You write one regulation to protect consumers, and they will change or evolve slightly to get out from underneath that regulation. There are states in this country that have done a very good job of regulating the financial marketplace to protect consumers from all side, you know, sorts of financial scammers, places like Washington State, for example. But you can't leave any room or oxygen for them because they can grow and evolve into other things. For example, um, the payday lending rule that the CFPB is considering uh, tackles not just payday lending, but other types of short-term loans like uh, car title loans and stuff like that. These are two- and three- or four-week loan uh, loans that the person has basically taken out. So what a lender who doesn't want to abide by those rules might do is decide, instead of doing a two-week loan, we're going to do a three-and-a-half-week loan, and then they no longer qualify under uh, those regulations necessarily. So what you end up having is all of these gaps that happen when it comes to these low-dollar loans that are offered. And to a lot of people in the middle class, the upper middle class, they do look like low-dollar loans that anybody should have the ability to pay back. But there is a big difference. If you're only making you know, a couple hundred dollars a week in pay, right. and your loan that you take out for half your paycheck has a $50 interest on it every two weeks, it's really difficult to get out from underneath. So, you know, the CFPB is designed to tackle these kinds of things, and that is precisely why it's so important that the CFPB be protected from people who would want to corrupt it, because without it, these types of predators will go able to take advantage of people and never be held accountable. So, all right, I have two questions for you, because I know you've done a lot of work uh, on the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Where are we in terms of, of that agency? And, and And we should say... We're talking on a week where uh, Brett Kavanaugh has been nominated to fill right. uh, uh, Kennedy's seat on the Supreme Court. This is a guy who ruled that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was unconstitutional, despite the fact that this is a guy who also attacks the Chevron doctrine, which is a legal doctrine saying that agencies uh, should be constrained by what Congress wants. Well, Congress set up the Consumer Financial Protection right. Bureau in this way. Uh, he likes to have it both ways, but... And, of course, Mick Mulvaney has been uh, sitting atop the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, essentially defanging it. How much is the absence of a a rigorous uh, CFPB, uh, you know, I guess exacerbating this problem of Mariner Finance and and, and companies like it? Well, I mean, the good news is that there are still people at the CFPB who are enforcing the rule of law and looking for things that need to be taken care of. That said, it's becoming harder and harder for them to do their job because of Mick Mulvaney and the policies that he's putting in place. The good news for the American people is that you can't just change the entire framework of a federal agency overnight. The same rules and procedures and laws that were in place that led to the creation of the CFPB have to be followed to reverse what the CFPB has done. Not everything can be changed overnight. So there are, pl- there are a load of people, Allied Progress, the organization that I work at, Center for Responsible Lending, Americans for Financial Reform, that are fighting Mick Mulvaney every single day to make sure that he doesn't do uh, as much damage as he's capable of at the CFPB. We can already tell that he's not enforcing right. the rules as stringently as his, pre- his predecessor did. For example, everybody saw those great headlines about Wells Fargo being fined $1 billion because they cheated so many millions of customers out of money. What they may not have known is that 
you know, in the old days when Rich Cordry ran the CFPB, it would then be on Wells Fargo to reach out to all the people they screwed over and tell them, hey, we screwed you over. We owe you this much money. Fill this piece of paper out and we'll cut you a check. In Mick Mulvaney's world, it's on the consumer to somehow discover that they were screwed over by Wells Fargo. Then they have to contact Wells Fargo to get their money back. So that's the distinction, right? It's, it's all about degrees. Yes, the CFPB has to enforce the rules, but it's how they carry through the enforcement of the ro- those rules that matters. And it's certainly not encouraging to see somebody like Brett Kavanaugh nominated to the highest court in land. You're right. He did say that the CFPB structure was unconstitutional. He was, of course, slapped back by his colleagues at the D.C. Circuit who said, nope, he's wrong. The CFPB is constitutional the way it's structured. However, uh, now, I mean, if uh, the Republicans have their way, uh, this guy will be sitting in the uh, court of last resort, the one that, that sits atop that D.C. Circuit Court. Right, right and it last... very well could. This case could go to, you know, all you need is a couple split decisions, and this issue could go to the Supreme Court, and we know where he stands. You know, this is a court that already, even when Kennedy was there, yes, I always like to tell people as a gay man, I love Justice Kennedy for everything he did for LGBTQ people, and I hate everything he did to people who were not rich. And and we should also say that um, uh, for all of his uh, bad attributes, Kennedy was 30 years older than uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, th- than Kavanaugh. And so and there's uh, no reason to think that Kavanaugh will not be worse than Kennedy was, right? I mean, this is a guy who said that Ken Starr should be a Supreme Court justice when he was working for Ken Starr during the Clinton impeachment. And, and we're going to obviously be talking about Kavanaugh quite a bit, and yeah. uh, and hopefully uh, folks will put uh, pressure on Collins and Murkowski and also on Chuck Schumer to keep um, uh, the Democrats in line. We'll, we'll repeat that ad nauseum. But uh, we've got just about a, a minute uh, or so left. we got to address the fact that Tim Geithner, is sitting atop this company, which by, I'm sorry, any way you slice it, is a predatory company. He ostensibly uh, criticized predatory lenders when he was Treasury Secretary. What kind of message is sent when we see these former Obama officials going out and basically, I I, want to say selling out. I'm not convinced that he wasn't like this from day one. (laughs) He was. Well, I do. I, I think so, too. But I mean, where is the accountability? Well, uh, I, I think this is a good lesson for everybody, uh, you know, all of us in the progressive side. When the next Democratic president takes office, to be mindful of the types of people that are appointed to these key economic positions. It is fine to have somebody from the business world in a key economic position, so long as they have a demonstrated track record of standing up for consumers. There are plenty of business people who care for consumers. Tim Geithner was not one of them. Right. And we saw time and time again when it came to the decision as to how one rescues the banks. You could have done it through the homeowners or you could have gone directly to the banks and hoped that the banks would then help the homeowners. That, of course, is what the, what they did. And the banks and you, did not. You know, we, we, we should have known from the beginning that they would never do the right thing. You can't ask them to do the right thing when their only legal charge is to make money for their shareholders. And that's their only legal charge because that's all we expect from them. We could expect a lot more yep. from them with the right people in charge. Carl Frisch, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you. Carl Frisch is the executive director of Allied Progress, a consumer watchdog organization that uses hard-hitting research and creative campaigns to hold Wall Street and other special interests accountable, as well as their allies in Congress and the White House. When we come back, Heather Digby-Parton will join us to analyze more news from the past week. That's just ahead 
I'm Sam Cedar. You're listening to Ring of Fire Radio. Don't forget, rofpodcast.com to support the show and hear what you've been missing. Hey, folks, Mike Papantonio's new book entitled Law and Vengeance, which is the follow-up to his critically acclaimed novel, Law and Disorder, is finally out and available to you to buy. The book is a legal and political thriller drawing on Pap's experience both as a skilled trial lawyer and as a nationally syndicated political talk show host. The story follows trial lawyer Gina Romano, who was first introduced in Law and Disorder. On her quest for both vengeance and justice, in a whistleblower lawsuit against a weapons manufacturer who developed and sold a dangerously defective rifle scope. Pap has built a story around real-life events that he's encountered as one of the top trial lawyers in America, where he's been fighting some of the world's largest and most corrupt corporations. Buy Mike Papantonio's new book, Law and Vengeance, today. Go to www.lawandvengeance.com. That's lawandvengeance.com. Check it out. I know you're going to love it. 